Lord, us and we need for life and godliness. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, be with us this afternoon as we read the scriptures. Lord, studying about the church and Lord, what it is that you have made us a part of. Lord, give us a proper and a correct understanding of the church, the way it should be formatted. Lord, how it is that we should conduct ourselves when we meet together. Lord, how essential and necessary it is for our salvation and for our good. Uh, so, Lord, that we might be faithful to you. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, we're on chapter 26. And last week, we were overzealous to talk about Roman Catholics. <clears throat> so we skipped paragraph 3, and we went to paragraph 4. We're so anxious to get to it. So now we're going to go backwards. Chapter 26, paragraph 3. Chapter 26, paragraph 3. We did four last time, and then we'll be back in proper order. And again, this chapter is uh, about the church and various doctrines uh, concerning the nature of the church, its organization, the way it should be. So chapter 26, paragraph 3, says, The purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. Some have degenerated so much that they have ceased to be churches of Christ and have become synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ always has had and will have in this world to the very end a kingdom of those who believe in him and profess his name. Here, when it's talking about the purest churches under heaven, it's talking about local assemblies, local bodies, local manifestations of the one true church, right? There is the true church, which is made up of all believers across the globe, but then those believers congregate into local assemblies. And in these local assemblies, even the most pure of churches, those that are the purest, are subject to mixture and error. This because the people there, none of us are perfect, so we're all growing in our sanctification. So in all of us, there is some error, or there may be issues, there may be doctrines, there may be practices that are not happening within the church. So there is error that needs to be corrected. We need to grow. We need to mature in our Christian life. So the churches are always reforming. They're always improving. There should always be a march toward greater sanctification, both individually in our own individual lives, and then also collectively in our church life that we are more and more conforming to the image of Christ and to the mind of Christ, both individually and collectively as a whole. Also, when it talks about there being mixture, it means mixture of believers and unbelievers, right? Though our goal is to, as best as we possibly can, only admit true believers into the church, there is always going to be <clears throat> a mixture in that there will be some who initially we consider to be believers, but then in due time, they will manifest that they never were truly of us. And this has always been the case as well. Even in the disciples of Jesus Christ, there was a mixture of believers and one unbeliever in the person of Judas. And then even in the churches founded by the apostles, there was a mixture. There were people who claimed to be believers, who momentarily had the appearance of being believers, but then in due time they manifested that they were not truly of us. So our goal and desire is purity, and we do that to the best of our ability, yet even when we're doing it to the best of our ability, there will at times be a mixture, and this is why 
uh, it is necessary, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that there must be divisions or factions among you so that those who are genuine may be revealed or proven. The reason God brings schisms or factions within the church, divisions, is to reveal and manifest the quality of the people, right? What is in the person, and this is why the church will always be plagued with factions, with divisions. Again, we don't seek division out. We don't want there to be division. We want there to be unity, but God brings it about in order to purify and purge the church from time to time and to reveal those who are genuine. So the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. First John chapter 2, First John chapter 2, verse 19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. So they, this being false believers, temporary spurious believers, this would be the believer who is like the seed sown among the rocky ground and sown among the thorns. They momentarily believe the gospel they momentarily associate with the church, but then eventually they go out from us. They cannot, because they're not genuine, they cannot tolerate us. And the reason they go out is because they never were truly of us. They were of us in a superficial, spurious way, but not in a true spiritual way. And the evidence is that if they were truly of us, then what would they have done? They would have stayed with us. They wouldn't have left us. But when they leave us, it becomes plain and manifest to everyone that they were never really a part of us. So when people abandon or walk away, forsake the assembly, this is what's happening, right? They're manifesting that they were never truly of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, an example of a church, an early church, even during the times of the apostles, that there was mixture of Unbelievers and mixture of error. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Are you arrogant? Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. 
Purge the evil person from among you. So there in the church is this man who has his father's wife, something that even pagans do not do, yet this man within the church is doing it. And Paul is expecting them to remove this man from the assembly. He's there right now, and his presence is leaven that is going to leaven and spoil the whole lot of them. So he commands them to remove this man. And this would be true, generally speaking, of anyone who bears the name brother, a so-called brother, but who is practicing these sins. If he's practicing these sins, he's proving that he's a so-called brother. He bears the name brother, but he doesn't have the true inward reality. And this can happen even in our congregation. And when it does, then we just have to deal with it properly. Revelation chapter 2 in chapter 3 this, these are the <clears throat> letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we'll note that in multiple of these churches, there are many issues, both sins and false doctrines that the churches are adhering to that they need to repent of, and then also evil people that they are tolerating, that they need to expel from the body. And again, this is, these are churches founded by the apostles in the days of the apostles still, because at least one apostle is still alive. He's the one writing these things. So these are early churches that so quickly there was a mixture of error, mixture of error, disobedience, false doctrine. So why would we think for a second that our churches in our day are all going to be 100% pure, spotless, and everything is good and great. It's not going to be the case. So we have to be on guard, study the Bible, see what's going on, deal with it properly. Okay? Revelation 2. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have grown, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works that you do at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the angel of the church at Pergamum, write, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antiochus, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, 
to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who have eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only have, hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in my sight. Remember then what you have received and heard it. Keep it and repent. If not, uh, if you will not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know at an hour that I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. To the one who conquers, who will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the, church, to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say that I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So there we see in these seven churches, there is mixture. Mixture in many of them. In five of them, there are sins that need to be repented of. And Jesus is threatening them that if they don't repent of these things, he's going to come and deal with them. And then there's also false teachers that they are tolerating. That woman Jezebel and her children, who's teaching my servants to commit sexual immorality. The Nicolaitans, right? The, the, uh, Balaam, who, who uh, did his evil deeds. These people are being tolerated in the church, and Christ is warning them, telling them, you better deal with these things. So... This is a test, a test for the churches. God allows these things to happen for there to be impurities that come in among us in order to test us to see whether or not we're going to be faithful to him. And we just have to do the will of God and deal with whatever is presented. And if the knowledge of some sin comes to our attention, something that's lacking in our faith, in our doctrine, in our obedience, then we need to overcome it and we need to repent and do the will of God. Right? Or if there is some person that comes into our midst, whether that be an individual in, in the church who's practicing sin, whether that be the pastor who's teaching some rancid doctrine, then we got to deal with it. Right? We have to deal with it and not tolerate these things. So all churches, even the purest churches, there is going to be subject of mixture and error. Next, they say, some have degenerated so much that they have ceased to be churches of Christ and have become synagogues of Satan. That's what we read just now in Revelation 2 and 3. This is what they were calling the Jews. They say they are Jews but are not, but are actually a synagogue of Satan. Now, did the Jews claim to be synagogues of Satan? They claimed to be followers of God. They claimed to be synagogues of God. And this was the case during the time of Christ. These are the people who have the Bible, who claim to be children of God, who claim to be children of Abraham, right? They claim to be the followers of God, yet they had degenerated into such a miserable state that these synagogues that claimed to be places that followed God actually were following Satan. They were synagogues of Satan. And that same truth can be true of churches. So that it is not a church of Christ, but is actually a church, an assembly of Satan. One easy, obvious, well, two obvious examples. We dealt with Roman Catholicism last week. The Roman Catholic Church claims to be a church of Jesus Christ, but it's not. It is a church of Satan. What about 
the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. Is it a church of Jesus Christ? Who is the head of that church? Satan. What about Jehovah's Witnesses? Are they Jehovah God's witnesses? No, they are witnesses of Satan. Right? So all of these and many others, if their doctrine is putrid, then they are no longer churches of Christ, but they are synagogues or churches, assemblies, that belong to Satan, though they still say First Baptist Church of this or First United Methodist Church of this, or that they claim to be churches, but they have ceased to be such in truth. Revelation 18, verse 2. All right, this is like when Jesus said that there will be many on that day who will be on the outside looking in, right? And they will claim that they were followers of Christ, claim that they knew Christ, and Jesus will say, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Right? Depart from me, he says, into the eternal fires prepared for Satan and his demons. They were churches. They met under the banner of churches, but he never knew them because they belonged to Satan. Uh, Revelation 18, verse 2 says, And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt of every unclean spirit, a haunt of every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Babylon the Great is the dwelling place for demons, where unclean demons, unclean spirits, what is unclean and detestable, this is where it dwells. Churches can become like Babylon. They can be a place for demons, where demons dwell. And I would contend that many of the churches today, this is exactly what has happened. They are not churches of Christ. There's no life there. There's no salvation. There's no gospel. But they are under the influence and power of the devil, and then they lead people to hell. Right? That's they produce unclean converts, unclean people, right? That's all that they are producing, and they go to hell in the end. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Right, and these churches are obvious if we're looking objectively, because what do they not do in these churches? They don't teach the Bible. They teach the Bible with no authority. None at all. They might read from it here or there to make a point on this or that, to give the impression that they're biblical, but they're not committed to serious study and teaching of the Word of God. They're not doing it. If they're not teaching the Word of God, then what are they teaching? They're teaching the words of demons, right? What are they, do? what are they doing? Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God sends them, notice that, God sends them a strong delusion. God puts them under a delusion so that they believe what is false, thinking that it's true. Claiming to be wise, they became 
fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what happens even in the churches. They exchange the truth, the truths about God, about Christ, about salvation, the true doctrines of the Bible. They exchange these things for their own human wisdom and human understanding of these things, and then they are void of anything good and right. And if it comes from human tradition, as we read this morning from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it also is coming from elemental spirits of this world, from demons, right? Men and demons united together against God, right? And this is taking place in many churches. So just because a person calls himself a Christian, just because it calls itself a church, does not mean they are truly one. We have to have discernment and we have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. We always have to be testing, testing, and testing. Okay, next. Nevertheless, Christ always has and will have in this world to the very end a kingdom of those who believe in him and profess his name. Even in the darkest of times... Even when you see the church in a miserable, wretched state, yet even still, Christ always will have a remnant. There's always a remnant chosen by grace that are faithful to Christ who will not pollute themselves and will remain true to Him. That's what we desire to be, is a remnant chosen by grace. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is going to build his church on the good confession of Peter, right? The, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the confession. Christ builds his church upon this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Christ is building his church and it is taking place in this present world. And many times it is in hidden, it is in unseen ways. It's not in ways that we see. It's not obvious. It's not manifest. And the majority of the time, it's not in the big Christian institutions. It's not in the mega churches. It's not in the seminaries. It's not in the Bible colleges, right? It's not in these big uh, cathedrals in all of these places that have all the pomp and power and prestige of this present world. That's not where the kingdom of God is because that's not how the, it manifests itself. It is like a mustard seed. It is hidden. It is unseen. It is in obscure ways, right? Like hopefully like us, obscure people meeting in an obscure building, right? Without all the pomp and all the fanciness that you see in so many churches today. But what are we trying to do? Teach the Word of God. Teach, believe, practice the Word of God. That's what we are wanting to do. That's where the kingdom of God is. Psalm 72. Psalm 72, verse 17. It says, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. This speaking of Christ. We sang this this morning in our worship. 
May the name of Christ endure forever. May his fame continue as long as the sun. Well, is the sun continuing to this present day? Yes. So may the name of Christ and his fame continue to this present day. And may people be blessed in him. And what does it mean to be blessed in Christ? But to have salvation. Right? And, and, and this is a prayer of a prophet. So we know God's going to answer this prayer. God is going to do it. And in every generation, there will be people who are blessed in Christ. And in every generation, there will be those who sing his praise and tell of his fame in their family, to one another, in the world, to anyone who will listen. Psalm 102. Psalm 102. And verse 28 it says, The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Here, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. These are the believers, the servants of God, right? The children of your servants shall dwell secure, and their offspring shall be established before you. God will establish in every generation his children, his offspring, his servants, so that there will never be a time in the history of the world that God does not have some of his people on the earth, even in the darkest of times, even in the days of Noah. There weren't very many, but at least there was Noah, right? There were a few that God saved, God preserved. At least we know Noah and Shem and Japheth, not Ham. We don't know about the, the wives or, or his wife, but at least we know that Noah, Shem, and likely Japheth were believers. But they were the only ones, and the rest of the world was destroyed. And that's how it is in every generation. There are a few believers, a remnant that is saved in every generation. Revelation chapter 12 Revelation 12, verse 17. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The dragon, being the devil, is furious with the woman and goes to make war on the rest of her offspring which is the believers, right? This is who he is waging war against, against the offspring of Christ, who are described as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So they hold to Christ, they believe in Christ, and then their faith in Christ is manifested in their obedience to God. So these are true believers. And the devil is waging war in every generation against these people, against the true believers in Jesus Christ. And they will always be there. We know he's always raging because the church is always there and he will not have victory. He will not conquer the true church. Now he will, in a temporary way, have victory from time to time. He will have his way in false churches because they are believed doctrines of demons, but not in true churches. True churches will overcome him by their faith, their faith in the word 
of God. Because the way he wages war against the church is through false doctrine, his false teachers that come into the church. But when they begin to spew their heresies out and we're reading our Bibles, we'll be able to spot them a mile away. Say, this guy, he's a liar. We know he's not telling us the truth. Get this rascal out of here and then we'll throw him out on his can. Okay, next. Lastly, Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Romans 11 verse 1 says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So here the apostle Paul is seeking to answer this question of whether or not God has rejected his people Israel. Right? Why, if they are the people of God and the gospel came to them, why did no one believe it? Why is it that there were so few who believed it? And so he's asking this question, has God completely rejected his people? And his answer is no. Because who is a believer who is also an Israelite? The Apostle Paul, right? He says, I am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God hasn't completely rejected his people whom he foreknew. He has a few, a remnant that he is saving. And then he goes back to Elijah. This was the case during the days of Elijah. Elijah it was so dire and desperate in his own day that from his experience, it appeared to him that he was the only believer left. They have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me and put me to death. And if I'm put to death, then who else is there? But God assured him he had 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000 out of millions, right? Out of millions. So not 7,000 out of 10,000 or 7,000 even out of 20,000, but 7,000 out of likely millions of people who had not bowed the knee to Baal, which is a remnant, a, a minority of the majority. But then when you take that minority in every generation and you put them all together, what do you have? You have descendants innumerable, more than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. You have a multitude that no one can number. This is how it is. In terms of each generation, it is a remnant, it is a minority, it is a few here or there. But in terms of the scope of human history from the beginning of time to the end of time, the number of believers is a multitude that no one can count or number. And this is what God is doing. So in every generation, he has a remnant chosen by grace. So we should not be surprised if uh, we're doing things that other churches aren't doing, right? Or that uh, we look different than other churches. Or that we believe things that are different than other churches. Or that we have practices that are different than other churches, right? 
we shouldn't be surprised at those things. The people who grew up in the church I went to, if they came to one of our services, they think we're all nuts, right? No doubt about it, but I think they're nuts. So the matter is, what does the Bible teach, right? What does it teach? And we shouldn't be surprised that we'll be in the minority, that we'll be in the minority in relation to the world, and that we'll even be in the minority in relation to outward Christianity, in, in the visible outward church, because many churches have degenerated to the point that they have ceased to be churches and are actually synagogues of Satan. And the way we determine whether or not we are a true church or not is not by comparing ourselves to everyone else, but it's by comparing what we do to the Word of God. That's what it always comes down to. It always comes to the Word of God. Do we believe what the Bible teaches, and are we obeying what it commands us to do? And that is the, t- the determination. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus and keep the commandments of God. That's what we should be looking at to determine whether or not we are pure, whether or not we are as a church doing those things that are pleasing to God, and we are a part of the remnant that has been chosen by grace. And so that's what we should aspire to. So let's pray, and then after that, we will take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your word, and, and Lord, again, how it does teach us so clearly, Lord, of everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we do know that even in the purest of churches, there will be a mixture, Lord, a mixture of unbelievers that will come in unaware, and Lord, even a mixture of, of weakness, Lord, in terms of our doctrine, in terms of our practice. Lord, because none of us are perfect and none of our churches are perfect. Lord, that is not the issue. The issue is, are we teachable? Are we growing? Lord, are we being purified? Are we being sanctified? And Lord, that's what we want. Lord, we want to progress. Lord, we want to conform more and more to the image of Christ, to the mind of Christ, to the word of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that your word would have high regard among us. Lord, both in its outward teaching, but also in the way that we adhere to it. Lord, that we would believe every word of Christ and that we would not depart from it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would purify us more and more. Lord, as we go into this life together, Lord, as we are encouraging one another and building each other up in the faith, Lord, as we meet together and as we read the scriptures together and teach from the scriptures, Lord, reveal to us more and more what is your will, and Lord, help us to have the wisdom and, Lord, the eyes to see those areas of deficiency, Lord, where we are sinning and doing those things that are not pleasing to you, and Lord, we pray that we would amend our ways and that we would ever be reforming and ever be purifying ourselves in your sight. Lord, until that day in which you make us perfectly conform to your image, when we see you face to face. So Lord, help us, and Lord, may we not be discouraged when we see that there are so few among us. Lord, so many churches, literally on every street corner, there is a church. And yet, Lord, there are so few who are taking the Bible seriously and who are trying to do what is pleasing in your sight. Lord, help us to see and understand that this is not a unique experience to us, This isn't something that is uncommon. 
Lord, are only we have experienced, but this has always been the case in every generation. So, Lord, may we not lose heart, but rather be faithful to you and always be teachable and humble and submitting to your word. Lord, we pray as well that you would bless our time now as we take the Lord's Supper. Lord, we thank you for giving to us this symbol. Lord, as a reminder to us of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That it, our sins were placed in his body on the tree and that his blood was shed to cleanse us of all of our iniquities. So Lord, may that truth be manifest to us today in both the bread and in the wine. And Lord, may they confirm to us, Lord, the salvation that we have And that, Lord, we who have fled to Jesus for refuge, Lord, that we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. So, Lord, build us up in our faith, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.